Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome <laughs> to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And uh, we thank you for joining us after quite a long break that we've taken here from recording these episodes. Yeah. Uh, contrary to popular opinion, we have not fallen off the earth. We uh, <laughs> We're still here. have had a lot going on um, over the past several weeks. There was Vacation Bible School. Um, Zach went to Synod. I went on vacation the week after, and so here we are now with a lot to talk about. So much has oh, happened, yeah. um, certainly not just in the world, but we're going to be talking a lot about some things that have happened in the Christian Reformed Church, hmm. and um, if that really it, it sounds a little bit maybe foreign to maybe some of our listeners who are not members of a Christian Reformed Church, I hope we can make this episode engaging and interesting for somebody who is outside the CRC, the Christian Reformed Church, Church yeah. of North America, but could be a little bit curious about what is happening in this little denomination of about 200,000 members. Um, we've been saying 300,000 members, I think, for about 10 years, but that is no longer <laughs> accurate because we've been shrinking. And so I want to say 600 churches, hmm. 200,000 members, the Christian Reformed Church of North America, 75% American churches, 25% Canadian churches, and um, sometimes when I'm listening to podcasts, I like to hear what's happening in the PCA oh, or totally. in the Southern Baptist Church, and so hopefully you would have, have that same curiosity as you listen in to um, what's happening in the CRC, and of hmm. course, we also want to be helpful to members of the Christian Reformed Church because, as I said the following Sunday after, during our synodical proceedings, I believe that this last synod, um, which... Zach got to be a delegate at will be one of great consequence for many decades, and we'll be talking about it for a very long time, the Synod of 22, um, because some very big things happened, and that's what this podcast is about, helping you understand. But mostly it's going to be Zach talking, because he, he got the front row seat. He was a voting member of the Synod, and I just oh, yes. was watching it online, so uh, you'll you'll hear his, his musings and his thoughts. Yeah, I definitely want to... Um sort of, to use the, the cool Bible study word, echo. I want to echo what you said, Mark. <laughs> going to piggyback. Um, I want to piggyback <laughs> off what you said. And uh, it really resonated with me, I should say, <laughs> yeah. um, about how even if you're not a part of the CRC, these conversations might actually be really illuminating and helpful for you. Uh, as, as Mark said as well, it's interesting to hear what's going on in different uh, corners of the church. And... Uh, Maybe there's a bit of voyeurism about this, just kind of peering over the uh, the proverbial fence and seeing like, oh, what's going on over there? Is the grass <laughs> greener over there? Uh, but actually, I think what's what's so good about doing this, when I've heard other brothers and sisters across the different denominations of the church talking about what's going on in their sort of denominational neighborhood, you can learn mm. ways that other Christians are thinking about things yeah. and how they're approaching very similar issues. Because if we're honest with ourselves, I think, almost all Christians 
are dealing with the same issues that the CRC is dealing with, just in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, we have different uh, resources to draw from. So in the CRC, we're, we're having to deal with our three forms of unity, uh, our, our different reformational statements of faith, um, whereas other Christian denominations are dealing from other wells. Yeah. And so we, there's some sort of uh, cross-pollinization in a sense. We can all learn from each other and hopefully chew on things together and, and borrow ideas from one another uh, insofar as we're able to. So I hope that this is encouraging to you, even especially if you're outside the CRC. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you are in the CRC and you're really wondering, well, what really happened at Synod? Maybe you've heard some things, uh, you've, you've seen ramblings online, you've seen some Maybe you've seen some Paul Vanderclay videos, which <laughs> I think actually are a pretty good resource to turn to and trying to make sense of what has happened. Yep. Uh, we're going to do a couple of episodes on this. So this will be part one, and next week we'll try to get to part two, Lord willing. Uh, and in this episode, we'll kind of go over like what were the major outcomes of Synod? What were some of the major decisions and actions that were taken mm -hmm. by uh, the body of Synod? Um and then we'll, we'll kind of want to zoom out a little bit and we'll think about the place of our denomination, where we are at, and yeah. what the uh, sort of outcomes of the different votes that were taken kind of reveal about where our denomination currently is. Uh, and then we'll also just sort of make some anecdotal observations about what we saw uh, at Synod, particularly from the floor of the main deliberative meetings. Uh, but if we want to start with that first question, what did Synod decide? Hmm. Uh, which I think is a really good question. That's sort of the pragmatic question. What what decisions were made at Synod? There was a lot of talk. There was a lot of conversations. There was a lot of prep. So what really happened? Well, of course, the, the first and obviously the biggest discussion at Synod that took up by far the most amount of time was the discussion about our human sexuality report. And if you've been listening for the past hmm few episodes uh, back into last month, you will know that the Human Sexuality Report, or the so-called HSR, uh, was basically a report that gave a 176-page uh, affirmation of the traditional view of human sexuality from a Christian standpoint, or you could say a historically Christian standpoint, such that homosexual activity uh, would, be cons would be seen as sin, uh, transgenderism as not living in accordance with God's will, uh, which is expressed through our bodies. Uh, there's good stuff in Paul Vanderclay's podcasts recently that, that talk more about that actual issue. Mm. Um, but the HSR basically in all ways kind of explains and gives biblical exegesis to support the traditional view, if we want to call it that. Um, and so this HSR, a very important document, uh, was discussed by, by all of Synod. There were long hours of discussions uh, where delegates would get up on the floor, and every delegate was only given three minutes, and then actually along the way during the synodical procedures, this was shortened down to two minutes because mm -hmm. there was just so many people in the speaking queue. For the second day, yeah. Uh, and yeah. so we had to really shorten things and try to really ask people to refrain from sharing too long of stories or to refrain from saying something that maybe had already been said. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, the HSR was given confessional status, not 
that it itself hmm. became a, a confession. The HSR is not not now alongside the Belgic Confession or the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, but the interpretations it gives are now seen as being the official way of interpreting what particularly the Heidelberg Catechism says in question and answer 108 when it talks about unchastity or sexual immorality. So the HSR says that unchastity should include, among various other things, homosexual sex, uh, so homosexual intercourse, uh, homosexual activity, I think, is what this includes as well. I think yeah. the language could have been a little bit cleaner personally, and it could have included homosexual activity, not just homosexual sex. But the meaning is clear that homosexual uh, physical activity is condemned by Scripture. And so this interpretation has now confessional status. And so when we read the Heidelberg Catechism, we must now all agree that this is what the Heidelberg Catechism teaches against. And therefore, this position is a confessional position of our churches, meaning that pastors and office bearers, elders and deacons, uh, need to hold to this view and teach this view and not teach in any way against this view. Mm-hmm. And this is, of course, going to have pretty big implications for our church as a denomination. There will be several places across our denomination in the U.S. and Canada, several churches that will have to really bring this to the fore and wrestle with this because there are pastors who are, some some publicly, some less yeah. publicly, who are known to be on the open and affirming side. And so this is now going to create some some fallout in certain ways. We need to be pray- prayerful and we need to be considering these various men and women whose positions are now, uh, you could say, threatened in some sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't say this to gloat or I don't say this gleefully, but it's the sober reality in which we now live. And I, I am for the HSR. I was in agreement with these positions. The, the ways that I voted, I'm almost actually entirely on this issue uh, were the votes that won. And so uh, I I don't want to be sort of cold here and talking about them, but there's going to be, uh, you could say, repercussions that come from this decision that will be very serious. Uh, But these are repercussions that many of us believed, myself included, needed to happen. Uh, our, Our denomination needed to have a sort of drawing the line in the sand moment. Uh, and so that is in fact what happened here. Uh, Mark, anything you'd like to add on that from what you saw? Yeah, just really quick, um, addition, uh, is that it was a resounding vote in favor of the HSR. So the number for, um, receiving the HSR as, um, quote, a useful summary of biblical teaching, meaning we believe this. Um, was 131 to 45, which ends up being close to 75%. Yep. Um, And then there was another long conversation about um, considering it as has confessional status, which means we not only receive it, but this is is something we covenant to and essentially sign on to as a denomination. That won by a vote of 123 to 52. Uh, so sorry, eight people, yeah, yeah. eight people swang in that vote, which was interesting. So yeah. th- I don't know who these people are. I don't really care to know who they are. Um, it's good that it's anonymous. 
Uh, Which actually, I was expecting it to be more of a swing. Yeah. Like like that people would say, we're okay with this description. We just don't want to be held kind of held had it held over our heads right that's Um, what that's what that that confessional status does yeah Uh, it's one thing to say yeah we think this is the biblical teaching it's another thing to say we agree to teach this position and not not right turn from this position um and so it kind of was a way of giving it teeth um so to speak Uh, we were making this uh something that really becomes actionable If 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 an office bearer in the crc now openly teaches against this uh, the church discipline ought to ensue according to yeah. the positions now of our church. And this then came to the fore in the next big decision. This is not in any uh, chronological order, by the way, in the week of Synod. Uh, these <laughs> things happened yeah, this was later closer on to the end. Yeah. Uh, but the next big decision following that first decision on the HSR was the outcome of the Neeland Avenue CRC situation. Uh, so Neyland Avenue is a church in the CRC in the classist of Grand Rapids East, which we'll get to actually more uh, more in a bit. Uh, Neyland Avenue, back in the fall of t- of 2020, ordained as a deacon a an active lesbian woman who was in an active relationship. Uh, married, uh, yeah. I think married, yeah. Quote um, yeah. and so. This is a breaking of the covenant with the rest of the denomination to do something that the rest of the denomination had not uh, sort of acceded to uh, and given uh, its affirmation of or its its uh, its approval of. And so being that this was the first synod we've had since 2019, we finally were able to address this issue. And given that we had just voted uh, really hours before uh, in favor of the human sexuality report, uh, it was decided by Synod in a pretty unprecedented move uh, to censure Neyland Avenue in such a way as to say that they must uh, remove this deacon from office and that they must now have a committee in loco set up, which means a local committee that will come alongside them, made up not of people who are necessarily local, it would be different people from different classes, around the denomination who will come and and walk with them and help them see to it that they uh, comply with synod's requests. Yeah. Um, now, this is seen, of course, as this was a really big moment in, in synod, actually. This was probably the most stressful, hmm. anxiousness uh, part of synod. There was a lot of angst, I think, around this particular question. The the confessional status question was pretty heated as well, but this is where it all really was being right. driven home. Yeah, confessional status is almost a bit abstract, yeah. whereas this is like, we're actually going to act We're going now. to do something. Yeah. And so there was a lot of discussion about the church order and whether or not the church order allows for synod to get involved in this way with a particular church that has acted out of line. Yeah. Now, normally, according to the church order, when a church does something like this that is out of line with the rest of the churches and in the mind of the rest of the churches, the classis is supposed to get involved. Yeah, and the classis is the regional so gathering. The classis yeah. comes together and says, well, this is out of step with the rest of us. They've broken the bonds of our faith, and so we need to, to enact church discipline against them, which doesn't mean just removing them. It means sending church visitors, trying to see what's been going on. How did we get here? How did this happen? Yeah. Can we plead with you to 
to change your mind and to we want to show you the truth well classis grand rapids east never did anything about this they were quite adamant along the way of not doing anything about this and so there were lots of um a lot of letters written from other classes, other councils across the CRC, mm-hmm. written to uh, Neeland Avenue's council, written to Grand Rapids East, asked, asking them to to change their ways, to amend their ways, to come back into line with the covenants of the church and to say that what we've done is wrong and we apologize. But Neeland Avenue and Grand Rapids East, both of those bodies were adamant about not doing anything about it. And so this is a pretty unprecedented move as far as our church order goes. I think even Kathy Smith addressed that from the floor. Kathy Smith Smith is a sort of church expert, church order expert guru from uh, Calvin Theological Seminary, uh, who will often get up and speak to exactly what the church order means when it says something. She was very mm-hmm. helpful to have, and she made the case that this was really not a move that Synod had ever made, and Synod was not really supposed to make. So that was kind of a question on the floor was, should Synod then, because the classes hasn't done anything, hmm. should the binational body do something about it? And the answer we all came up with was yes, because something needs to be done yeah. and something flagrant has happened and nothing's been done about it on the more local level. And so this, for some people would say, it, it sets up a bad precedent of Synod getting involved in local matters. Uh, other others of us would say this is actually just a it's consistent with the reform doctrine of church discipline yeah. um, and keeping each other accountable yeah and, because and within so, our polity we don't have a top-down system and right. so somebody listening who thinks of the, the roman catholic church or the anglican church or the methodist polity um, which is like a fancy word for how churches sort of have where the authority in the church lies yeah um, they would they would say a bishop will just decide or maybe yep. bishops will get together and hand down the decision and then that, that's what that church has to do. I mean, they could kick a pastor right out, you know. Yep. Um, and we don't have that polity. We we have generally a more congregational polity where yep. the the they they always say the highest authority is the local council, and so that's where this got complicated because if we really do hold yeah. to that, some people were saying, I don't know if the synod can hand down a a word of discipline, you know, a correction. Yeah. Um, whereas many were saying, no, but reformed means we're not purely congregational, like you would find in a congregationalist church or a non-denominational church or a more baptistic church. Yeah. Um, we actually have a reformed polity that isn't just congregational. There is an accountability or a covenant with other churches, and we're going to enact that by calling Neeland Avenue to repentance. And that also, that was the most resounding vote of all of them. Um, that that I was surprised by that. Um, I, we don't have the numbers here in front yeah, of us. Yeah, I don't have the numbers. Uh, uh, it was even more than voted in favor of the HSR, I noticed. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, now I, now I I'm curious. I say it was 150. I think it may have been in the 150s Yeah. to um, do something about it, which was quite telling. Um, to 30-ish. Yeah, something like that. And so now what will happen is that over the course of the next year, between now and next synod, uh, this committee in loco, which means like a committee that will be formed to come as- alongside them locally, to meet with them in person as a classis and as a council, uh, will begin to sort of walk with them to ensure that they take synod's discipline to heart. Now, this is an open question, whether or not this will happen. Yeah. Um, and so it's not really our place to 
to prophesy what we think will happen. Uh, but basically, there's a process that's now been outlined, and that's what really needs to be said. And so a clear move was made, a clear decision was struck by a synod to do something about this from the synodical level, and so it remains to be seen now what, what comes of it. Um, and so we are following this process, yeah. uh, and it, it will take time. It will not just be an instant procedure that is done. I don't think Neyland Avenue is going to walk away. They were quite clear that they, they loved the CRC and wanted to stay in the CRC. They were also, their their elder was one of the delegates. Uh, he yeah. became a friend of mine while I was there. His name's Larry, Larry Louders. Great guy. He basically said, I don't think much is going to be done about this. And you can watch this all live mm-hmm. um, on on the on the CRC's YouTube. So I don't want to, I don't want to put words in, in Larry's yeah. mouth. Yeah. But he basically said, our hands are tied. There's not a whole lot we feel like we can do. And so it'll be interesting to see what comes of it. And it's definitely something we can be praying about. So those were the two big things regarding the sexuality issues that have been really dividing our church. Uh, Another theological action of Synod uh, was, and this is really really where I was most interested myself, just being somebody (laughs) who's really interested in theology, uh, some of the more pragmatic things I wasn't super concerned about, which we'll see here in a second. Uh, but the penal substitutionary atonement decision was was really fascinating. Uh, yeah. Mark, you were in a class this before you came here mm-hmm. that that dealt with this a <laughs> yes. little bit more. So I'd love to give you have you give some more background on all of this. Okay, so during when any minister become is becoming a minister, um, you are examined not just by the church, I mean, that happens naturally through interviews, um, but also um, the first time you become ordained in the CRC, uh, you are examined at the classical level, which is a group of churches about usually between 10 and 25 churches that gather twice a year, um, and it's partly for the purpose of examining new pastors. Um, and so there's a usually about a two or three hour exam um, dealing with pastoral stuff, but also with theological stuff. And so um, I went through it, you went through it, um, yep. and um, they are of varying uh, quality, I would say. Um, one, this this time in classes-specific Northwest, there was an exam where um, a candidate was asked, essentially, why did Jesus die on the cross? What was happening when Jesus died on the cross? And um, the answer was that he, that Jesus was a victim of injustice, hmm. and he was an example for how we should respond to injustice in our world, how we should respond to violence in our world. And so that's what was happening when he died at, on the cross. And so um, that, that was regarded as a bad answer. Um, I, we, we can say that that is a part of what, was happening at the cross, but yeah. when when pressed further, he was refusing to say that Jesus bore our the punishment for our sin on the cross. Jesus um, bore the wrath of God, mm-hmm. which ought to be aimed at us sinners. Took that upon himself, substituted himself mm-hmm. for us, and so that's where you find the word penal substitutionary atonement. He was atoning for our sin. At the cross, and yeah, when pressed, the penalty, right? The he was he word. was taking that penalty upon himself. Yeah. Um. In dying, but also in 
in absorbing the wrath of God. Yeah, the propitiation. Right. So when pressed further on that matter, this candidate um, said no, basically. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's not how I see it. Often it's referred to as divine child abuse by people who oppose the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. God the Father is crushing God the Son. Right, he's like delighting in in wrecking his his own self in a way. Um, And so it's it's seen through the lens of what I would say a Marxist power lens um, where uh, that, that becomes very problematic for, for some people. And so that, that set off this really years long episode in that classes of um, this pastor who I believe is still acting as a pastor in the CRC. I can't say that for sure, but was approved by the classes actually. And hmm. so there were there were um, overtures to synod to revoke this minister's um, uh, ordination, which were not approved. And um, what it all led to was actually a different classis. I believe it was Ileana, wasn't it? Um, who wrote the overture? Who wrote this overture? Yes, I think you're right. Uh, so Ileana, meaning Illinois, Indiana. Um, our classis names often have Minnesota, Minnesota, Dakota, Iacota, Ileana, mm-hmm. are sort of on the borders of states. And so um, they, they wrote this overture saying a Christian reform minister must subscribe to penal substitutionary atonement, um, not just based on the scriptures, of they course. They would say in a rejection, the overture said it was a heresy yeah. to, teach a, to teach against it. To teach to against it. it. And so in, in the end, this was resoundingly also voted uh, a yes, but the wording was changed a little bit by the yeah. pre-advice committee. So um, it, it is not considered a heresy, um, but it is, what, a grave yeah, offense Yeah, it's or a something. serious deviation from our confession. Right. So that's what it was. That was the language used. You probably the, heard it a thousand times. <laughs> yeah. And so, which I agreed with. I, I don't think it's a heresy. I think you, you could be a legitimate Christian and reject penal substitutionary atonement. I don't think you should be a pastor or an office bearer of the of the CRC and reject it. And so what I mean by that is that there are plenty of Christian brothers and sisters that we have that, that think penal substitutionary atonement is a flawed framework for understanding what happened on the cross. I don't think that they're heretics for thinking that, but I do think that they would not be good Christian reformed office bearers. Sure. So that the, Eastern Orthodox Church, for example, I don't think that they're heretics in that very technical sense, but I do think they're wrong for not holding to penal substitutionary atonement. I do think the Bible teaches it. I don't think it means that they're not Christians, though. Um, And if there's probably all kinds of Protestants out there that deny penal substitutionary atonement, I don't think it necessarily means you're a heretic and that you are bound for hell. I do think it means that you are very theologically wrong. And so the decision that was made by Synod was you cannot be a pastor or an elder or a deacon if you are teaching against this view uh, and saying that this view is wrong uh, because our confessions so clearly hold to this view. Uh, The Belgic Confession very clearly teaches this view. The Heidelberg Catechism very clearly teaches this view that Jesus died as a substitution in our place to receive the penalty for our sin that we were due. And so he absorbed that penalty uh, as a propitiatory, propitiatory, is that the word? (laughs) Propitiation. Uh, Propitiation as a propitiational sacrifice 
I'm getting into all these weird words. Yeah. Uh, yes. So that was that was a really good, I think, decision that came from Synod. Uh, and I think it was very careful. It showed that this the, the advisory committee who who switched that language over was really deeply thinking about this, and they they had done their homework. And so I was really uh, encouraged by that decision, which happened earlier on in the week, actually, than all of the human sexuality uh, stuff. Um, another quick quick two things that, that happened that were uh, pretty important. I wouldn't say that they, they got the majority of the conversation, but mm-hmm. there has now been a restructuring of our denomination. And just put this into layman's terms. There's now kind of two bodies under one roof, you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the Canadian part of the CRC, which now it's, it has a little bit more of its own identity. It's called the CRC Canada Corporation, and there's now the CRC United States Corporation. Um, so we have each of those has its own executive director. Now, prior to this, we had as one denomination only one executive director who resided oh. in Grand Rapids. Now there's two executive directors. Well, there will be one in Canada and one in the U.S. And overseeing both of them will be the uh, general the secretary. general secretary, yeah. who yeah. is a, now we just voted him in at Senate. Is a man named Zachary King um, or Zach King and as far as I could tell Zach King seems like an like an awesome guy he comes from uh, the resonate global mission mm-hmm. wing of the CRC which is our sort of mission organization that, that looks to do missions all across the world yeah and, and, and so church planting he, and, he's yeah. actually I think he was raised on the mission field in South Africa if I remember correctly oh. Um, and he came into the CRC by going to Calvin University, yep. and I think he was actually Pentecostal before he yep. was a yep. part of the CRC. So he's an outsider in that sense, uh, which is in some ways a good thing. Uh-huh. Um, he can join my club. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was one one pretty big deal. It happened pretty easily. Senate did not uh, think too deeply about this because a lot of the work had been done prior to Senate, and yeah. so we just acceded to the recommendation for the most part. Yeah, the Council of Delegates had already interviewed him. Yeah. And, uh, did Paul Vanderclay sit down with, with him and interview him? No, uh, he interviewed one of the... Anyways. Maybe it was um, Yeah, Zach I think King. it was Paul with, with Zach. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, <clears throat> and so this restructuring is... Um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the long term. I, I, Definitely, I, Just yeah. speaking... Uh, maybe to give a bit of an opinion about it. I, I, one thing I really don't like are the names. I don't, I hate <laughs> the calling them corporations. Yeah, I me mean, too. I really hate that. Yeah. And I, maybe that means even that we need to write overtures to, um, to synod and start that from our church that yeah. calling church entities, corporations That's might, bad taste. it might seem practical, I guess on some certain, some sense, but, it just it just screams business model yeah. to me and we are not a business model and that kind of does church. bring up another point this was all way over my head as somebody who's not super yeah, maybe that's caught up the on canadian tax code right. but a big part of this they they were saying to us a lot of the the move for this kind of restructuring is because it helps bring the canadian churches into better alignment with their with their relatively new tax code that Canada has passed. I don't know all of what the history is on that. Uh, so I just kind of had to just trust people that they had done yeah. their homework. 
Um, so maybe the corporation thing helps. I, I don't right. know. Maybe. But oh, I, I agree with you. I think that's not not the best language to use. I do recall in a COD meeting, a Council of Delegates meeting, that they don't have to be called corporations. That was said hmm. by somebody who was influential in the process. And so I, well, we, I would love to get to work on that because calling churches corporations, like the American Corporation of the CRC in this yeah. Canada, it's already... Um, going a little bit to me too far down the road of thinking of the church as a business, um, even to spend thousands and thousands of man hours kind of trying to figure this out instead of maybe trusting some, some people, um, some lawyers mm-hmm. to, to work it out and, and trusting that, that this is a good decision. Um, I, I think we need to get, it, it's just like an acts where there are deacons responsible for, taking care of the Grecian and the, um, the, the Jewish widows. And we got to focus on the word and prayer mm-hmm. and we got to entrust that things are being taken care of at a certain point. Yeah. And so all of the um, hand wringing about this corporation stuff to me is a, often a distraction from just probably focusing like where we should on local church ministry. Yeah, I agree. So uh, it reminds me of the book from John Piper Brothers. We are not professionals. We are not professionals. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. And uh, it, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing to talk about. It's just the amount of attention that it gets is yeah uh, is distracting to me from like what the mission of the church should be. So it sounds like the overall move yeah was a good thing to do. Yeah, for I'm not opposing reasons. that. Yeah, um, and so that's something we can we can be grateful for. Um, and then the last real big thing that took place from synod. Uh, was on the last day, it was on Thursday, it was uh, regarding a racial reconciliation overture that came in from classes greater Los Angeles. Uh, And even though there was a minority report to accede to all recommendations of of that overture, um, the majority report did, for the most part, take that tack that the that the overture itself was arguing for about how the church needs to be better at racial reconciliation and really take up these issues and so a few things were decided uh, and one of those was by asking Calvin Seminary to report often on how they teach on race and justice issues there's also a reminder that classes should question ministry candidates whenever they have those exams in classes uh, that they should ask about their commitment to racial issues um, there was also a reminder given to elders and deacons to teach about justice and to seek real change in quote exploitative structures or indifferent systems. Hmm. And then finally, by asking CRC ministries to produce materials on these subjects for use amongst the churches. So this will be especially for faith formation ministries and faith alive, the sort of public publication wing of our denomination. So there was some really good discussion on all of this. Um, this was one of the moments where, a lot of the non-Anglo delegates or advisors got up and spoke. And we, I think it was really good. Some people said we really do need to slow down and talk about this because mm. we've had, mm-hmm. a, we went through a long week. This is this all happened on the last day. They said we could, it, it could be easy for us to just pass these things and not talk about it much and just get out of here and get home. Uh, but we really do need to stop and ask about these things and to really remind ourselves that there's a lot of work to still be done in the CRC mm-hmm. um, and I think that's that's definitely true one of the things that was exciting about the restructuring thing is that this might pave the way for uh, 
churches of other countries, not just U.S. and Canada, but, but to sort of uh, have a seat at the table in a sense of the Christian Reformed Church. And so that could be an exciting opportunity to see perhaps our church become more global. In a yeah, sense. more multinational instead uh, of just binational. And yeah. so that would helped, I think, to foster on that conversation of racial reconciliation yeah. as well. Um, so those are the the main things. <laughs> There's more, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. But well, people could watch this on YouTube, by the uh, way. Yeah, if every minute of all of this is all on YouTube. I, I you believe it watch. was what Tuesday evening session is where the HSR conversation. Yes, Tuesday started. evening, and then all all, all through most Wednesday. of Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, all day Wednesday. So that would be the Tuesday PM session, um, and yeah. you. Um, even can, really on a Thursday morning, actually, the Neeland yeah, Avenue stuff right, right. went through Thursday morning. Yeah, so I was watching online and uh, looking at the chat, um, <laughs> also watching um, most of the discussion, and um, I guess we could give a few thoughts on the discussion, particularly with the Human Sexuality Report. Maybe yeah. just um, before we give kind of some editorial opinions, um, just making a few observations. Uh, I would say based on the people speaking versus how the vote went. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say the the speakers were half and half, for and against. If anything, that was maybe a little bit more on the against the HSR side, so yeah. the more progressive side of our denomination. But it, yeah, it was pretty... Yeah, maybe 45-55 yeah, or 55-45. Yeah, and so... Um, maybe that's just my own biases making it seem like that to me. Yeah. And, and so if, if one were to just watch the discussion and that was your only perception of the Christian Reformed Church, you would say, it seems like this denomination is split down the road pretty much half, yeah, that's half a good, and that's half. A good point. Whereas the actual vote was a 75-25 split. Yes, so um, yeah. to me, uh, I don't think it's all that strong of an opinion or even that much of an opinion to say there is a very active and vocal minority in the CRC, at least there was at this synod, um, that all, almost all... A good we, number of them stood up. Yeah, almost all of them, actually, if you just count the votes and you look at how many people spoke against it, yep. um, it the vast majority of people who are against the HSR spoke. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that that... That maybe is not all that surprising when you read blogs coming out of Grand Rapids and so forth. Um, when you hear, uh, when you watch something like um, the YouTube channel of the All One Body group, which is the open and affirming advocacy group, I'm wanting the CRC to change our stance not to uh, adopt the HSR. When you watch those, you'll see um, there's a lot of influence in that group. Um, mm -hmm. Former executive director Steve Timmermans, former vice president of the seminary Dwayne Kelderman, um, Calvin College or Calvin University professors, mm -hmm. uh, elders who are influential in the Grand Rapids area, um, uh, a guy named Rich Braxma who is a employee of Resonate Global Mission. Um, mm -hmm. And so those voices um, lending their sort of effort towards becoming an open and affirming denomination would suggest, wow, it seems like the denomination is really on that track. However, the vote was very much the opposite, um, that it's it's a it was a resounding vote in favor of um, the traditional position on human sexuality. 
Yeah. So depending on how you saw that that vote, it, it, it says a lot about sort of where you sort of what circles you run in in the CRC. Some people were not surprised at all. Yeah. And some people were extremely surprised. Um, there's not a whole lot of, you know, there's not a whole lot there there to talk about here. Yeah. It's just interesting on an observational yeah. level to sort of see that, yeah, as you're saying, there was a pretty pretty large vocal minority. And the vocal minority, you could, to commend them, they A, they very deeply believe what they believe. They're speaking in favor of their convictions. Um, they're not going to sit back and sit idly by. They're going to get up and, and say something. And so I, I have a lot of respect for a lot of these people to get up and to so clearly give their give their opinions, so give their, their viewpoints uh, in favor of what they believed. Um, but really when it came down to it, a lot of – you could say there's a silent majority to yeah. use that sort of inflammatory language. <laughs> uh, there, there was a lot of people who were just – they sat quietly by – because there were a lot of other, you know, traditional traditionalists who were getting up and speaking, that we were cautioned often, several times throughout this discussion, if somebody else has already made yeah. their points, don't make them again. You yeah. take yourself out of the speaker's queue. And so you were Yeah, there was some of it happening to, on both sides. <laughs> there was there <laughs> definitely, was definitely yeah. times where people said the same thing. They, yeah. they repeated somebody else. Yeah. Um and that's it. Isn't the end of the world? It's fine. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, you you took a week off your off off work. <laughs> right. You're gonna you get, better, up might well your get up and say your piece. You know, <laughs> I, I I I totally see that. Um, that was, that was part of my thinking. I don't I don't think I said too many things that were had been said already. No. Nope. Uh, I I did know that. Man, this ministry shares have been have paid a lot for me to be here. <laughs> yeah. It was an expensive airfare, so I was yeah. like, I might as well make the most of it. And my church didn't send me here for nothing, so here goes nothing. Yeah, um, yeah but uh, maybe another uh, observation about the vote is um, the, for kind of lack of a better term, the ethnic uh, groups of the CRC yeah. that that really did kind of form as groups leading up to this synod the Korean Council yep. and the Consejo Latino I mean the um, Latin Council yeah. Latino Council yeah they um they were strongly in favor of the HSR in fact um I would say their statements uh, the Korean one had the word we unequivocally yes um and without reservation approve of this uh ethic communicated this theology communicated in the hsr and i know the consejo latino group as well they, too. they wrote a similar statement. Uh, wrote a very strong statement supporting it now um the korean statement was very short the yes Consejo latino statement was quite a bit lo- longer but both gave full support we're very resounding we're not not like um tiptoeing into it but we're just like yeah um uh and, and yeah and so um that that was an interesting thing as well. That uh, uh, occasionally there are comments made about um, the whiteness or the maleness of the speakers or uh, people who spoke in favor. But I do think um, that you'd have to say um, those who are not white um, were at least on the on the the group level uh, resoundingly in favor of yeah, the, the hsr the, the side of the crc that was critiquing the whiteness of it 
would not have been happier if it was less white. Let me just put it like that. <laughs> yeah. If it had been less white, it would have been even worse for that side yeah. of our denomination. That's just yeah. an anecdotal observation. Um, and so, yeah, well, and take the white maleness of it all you and, want. And I think that you're, you're just saying that argument, that counter argument doesn't hold any water, that, that this is sort of a white male institutional way of thinking. Um, yeah. Whereas, exactly. you know, you have these other non white groups who are even strong like saying in even stronger terms than some of of the mm-hmm. speakers on the floor that this is something that we've got to do uh, a, the, a, a very interesting by the same token we'll just throw this out there you pointed this out as we were preparing for this there there, there were no women delegates who spoke in favor of the hsr that we noticed yeah, yeah. not that i can remember we, we might least. be wrong in that but with it's very if there were any women who spoke in favor i don't think i can recall them so I know that there are women yeah. in the CRC who take this position, even ordained women. Yeah. I've spoken with them. And there uh, were some at the Synod who just maybe didn't speak out loud. Correct. Yeah. yeah. For all we know, they, yeah. they could have a position of being in favor of the HSR, but they just didn't speak. That, that yeah. very well could have happened. But that's just an interesting thing to note. Yeah. Another one would be the Canadian-American difference. And so oh, yeah. nearly all the Canadian delegates who spoke um, except for one that I can remember, um, spoke against the HSR, and so you really saw a theological There's two divide. that I can remember. Okay, were there, was there another one? Matt, British Columbian, Vanden Heuvel. Matt, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, I've messed your <laughs> name up. I heard you pronounce it probably yeah. like ten times all week. Uh, and then the British Columbian guy. Well, he was BC, and then yeah. there was one from Eastern oh. Canada who he was. He's from Iowa, but he's a oh. pastor in Eastern Canada. Right, right. His name was. Kurt or Craig Craig I'm getting all my names mixed <laughs> sure. up uh, but he he spoke very soberly in favor of the HSR and I think he he did a really wonderful job he's also actually on the abide project okay, sure. YouTube video sure. uh, highlight reel essentially right and uh, so um, that that that's an interesting observation we made that um, Canadian and Grand Rapids delegates were overwhelmingly um, against the HSR now yeah, so a lot of those 40-some-odd votes in f- or against the HSR, uh, Grand Rapids East is only four delegates. Yeah, it's only four votes. And, so yeah. a lot of those other votes probably came from Canada, and then, yeah, some scattered across the U.S. Uh, yeah. there, was a, there was some from Chicago South that were against the HSR, mm-hmm. some even at my table Yellowstone. Uh, from uh, Central Plains. Central Plains. Yep who got up and spoke against the HSR. And so it was, it was scattered Rocky mountains. Um, there'd be people from across the U S who weren't in favor with, of the HSR. Uh, but the, the loud, loudest groups that were from Canada and from, well, of course, Grand Rapids East, although I wouldn't say from the floor, Grand Rapids East was all that. Yeah. Active. Larry, yeah. Uh, got up and spoke several times, but Rebecca it was Jordan mostly Heiss, in response yeah. to yeah. him sort of being on the hot speed, hot seat. Rebecca Jordan Heiss got up and she uh, very clearly articulated herself, and I think she did a really good job of of keeping it on the on te- on the point that was being addressed. Um, yep, and then um, and so Berg, Borgdorf's daughter too, uh, Trisha Borgdorf. Trisha, yeah, she was. Great. Um, so yeah, th- yeah, they were the they were definitely the ones who were sort of leading the way in a sense. Uh, there wasn't. I mean, that's just how Synod was going. We all we all knew coming into it that Grand Rapids East and Neeland Avenue in particular were 
kind of a hot issue, a hot button issue yeah. that we're going to be addressed. And so, yeah, that was just sort of on a personal level, it was really interesting the first few days, just sort of noticing that everybody's kind of sizing each other up. You know? <laughs> um, and you're kind of trying to f- see where everybody falls on the various issues. But one thing we want to address as we sort of begin to take the ship back to harbor essentially <laughs> is to, to think about ways we saw courage throughout the week. Yeah. Because uh, there there was a lot of courage, uh, I think, on both sides. But, Mark, I'd love to see what your yeah. thoughts were on where you saw courage particularly exemplified. Yeah, so this I don't know, the question, I, I jotted this down in the notes here for us just to kind of look at things in a, in a hopefully positive way. It, walking out of this synod, I think it was... Uh, th- there would be quite a few people who the votes kind of went against them, and so they were very discouraged. Um, some even said fearful. Um, even many of those who walked away with the vote going like we wanted, which I would say includes Zach and I, there's a heaviness to what happened. And totally. so y- you don't walk away you know, with a pep in your step exactly, <laughs> like, wow, this is just going to be great, and it's going right. to be easy from now on. Like. Um, in a way, things actually just got a lot harder for the CRC because we oh, took yeah. a strong stand. And instead of just, um, you know, saying, oh, it's okay if we disagree, that would have been easier in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and uh, which is what the, uh, the RCA ended up doing. Um, it, it, that could seem easier in the moment, but in the long term, of course, it will be harder. So I, we, we wanted to look at things in a, in a positive way. And I, I want to say I, I, one of my very favorite comments made from the floor i i wish i had his name actually i don't he was he the, was one of the he's one of the members of the hsr committee yeah so he was a an author of the human sexuality report he was a retired social work professor from redeemer university again i in canada yeah i, I wish i i looked his name up because it was such a great um maybe i can pull it up as yeah you talk. It, it was a really good comment that he made but anyways um i i I'd say i'd preface this acknowledgement by saying the field of social work in higher education so this is social work professors uh, sociology professors psychology professors is so absolutely overwhelmingly um idealistically opposed to something like the hsr that um it would even be hard to calculate um how uh, i would say theologically liberal, theologically progressive, that field of study is. Um, and so this very courageous man um, said some some very truthful, plain things. It wasn't as though he was uh, blowing our minds with truth bombs. You was know, Jim Vanderverd? Vanderward? 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 I, I can't don't, remember. I don't know. Um, that's, a, that's a Dutch name I cannot pronounce yeah, very well. Um, Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, he, he basically said... Uh, he, he he one thing he addressed was the the trans suicide rate hmm. and um he said it's really hard to determine that what is the cause of it because it's so yeah. multivaried like um just to simply say that their suicide rate is due to um uh people not affirming their gender pronouns or um, to, to simply throw that out as the reason why trans people are sadly committing suicide is way too simplistic. And so um, he did it in a very careful way, but 
um, I, I just got the sense in listening to him. I don't know if people really understand how countercultural this is coming from a social work university professor yeah. because it is, um, it, it is the ideological commitment, of, which is often politically motivated, to um, simplify that matter and simply say, we've, we've got to affirm the gender identity. We've got to affirm... Um, all of these sort of political movements that are behind this um, hmm. this cause, and so how dare you suggest it could be more complicated than um, than this? So I I really appreciated what he said, and yeah, and so did I. what he had done actually was preemptively take care of I would say the most flagrant moment of the synod where um, the those who voted in favor of the HSR were accused by. Um, a minister, Dominic Palacios, of having blood on their hands, essentially being responsible for the suicides of trans people, um, this social work professor mm-hmm. preemptively recognized it's more complicated than that, um, mm-hmm. certainly even from a, a social work or psychological perspective. Yeah, which was something that really needed to be said. And that was there was a moment for me where I thought, man, that was like a mic drop moment. Even though he did not no. come at, come in guns blazing. No, it wasn't like that. Yeah, he, <laughs> he was, was just, just cool, calm, and collected. He, he was very prof- yep. professorial about it. Yeah, uh, and I thought it was it was really good. Uh, there was another moment that I think you mentioned from Doctor Jeff Wyma. Yeah, yeah, I appreciated his um, what he contributed. Um, there was a lot of confusion. We'll talk about this in our next episode of the distinction between justification, the moment of salvation, Hmm. why the Christian or how the Christian is saved with sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. So um, I was very discouraged um, by office bearers conflating the two, uh, saying, oh, so you're telling me that I've got to believe all these things and live in a perfect way in order to be saved now. That's not our Reformed doctrines. That was said quite a few times. This is against the Reformed doctrine of salvation by grace. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Wyma uh, just very, very plainly used a lot of scripture to help office bearers understand the difference between justification and sanctification, between um, the grace that we receive and how we're saved with how the Christian is now called to live um, so that we might bring glory to God in our lives. Hmm. Um Again, we'll get into this next time because there was so much confusion among those against the HSR in, regarding this distinction, um, and very surprising and discouraging to me, but it was great to hear uh, Wyma respond so resolutely and plainly that we're not talking about do this and ye shall be saved, be, heter- yeah. be heterosexual, or like that was how some delegates were interpreting it. Definitely. Um, yes, but, uh, but he corrected it very well and, and other delegates too did too. So what about you? How would, what would be your takeaways from some people? Who yeah. If we're talking about courage, we're not asking the question who was my favorite speaker from the floor. Although <laughs> one of these, I think actually would be in the running, if not my favorite. And that was Robert Van Zanen. I believe he's from classes Thornapple Valley, which is close to Grand Rapids. It's, uh, as far as I know, southeast of, of Grand Rapids. Um, and he, I didn't meet him. I, I did shake his hand that night and say thank you, but that was, that was it. Um, but I think what he said was one of the best moments from the floor that happened all week long. And it was a very, very sober reflection. 
he mentions how he knows people at Neyland Avenue. I think he even said he grew up at Neyland Avenue. And so he definitely had a dog in the fight mm. here. He knew mm-hmm. people and his friendships were on the line. But he very clearly and very, uh, I don't know, I think courageously is a good word, spoke up and said, I think what we're seeing here is two different gospels being taught. Um, and, you know, I think that was that's kind of what I was getting at a little bit in less clear terms than, than, than him. Uh, but I think the way, in the way he did it, I think even his his tone, his approach in that moment was very honest, very raw, very full of emotion and warmth and care. I'm not sure if he is a deacon or an elder or a pastor. I have no idea. Uh, but I've gone back and watched that video again, and I just think knowing that he had a lot on the line, and this wasn't just some abstract thing, but his statement was going to be decisive yeah. even for his own life yeah. in certain ways and his friendships. Uh, it was a big deal that he very forthrightly said, I think we're teaching two totally different things here. And this is a huge moment. And I think we have to recognize that another one, which took a lot of cur- cur- courage was Peter Rockhold. Peter Rockhold was uh, a delegate, I believe from Canada. I did not meet Peter. Uh, but Peter, uh, from the synod floor, um, announced that he was a same-sex attracted individual, and he was on committee eight, which was the committee that date mm-hmm. dealt with the HSR, and they spent w- at least double the amount of hours as the rest of us did in their committee. Their committee met a day early. Their committee actually started a week before all the rest of us. They started online. They met a day early in person, and then they actually went into Sunday Uh, when the rest of us finished on Saturday. And so they had hours and hours of work to do. And he himself being same-sex attracted took the majority report. He is a celibate uh, man. And he talked about how in this whole conversation he had felt like he'd he and people like him that he knew had sort of been overlooked. And there wasn't a whole lot of room for him really on either side, uh, which was really telling because there's a lot of people – on the affirming side of the CRC who spoke up at Synod, mm-hmm. basically sa- saying something to the tune of, we're placing an unnecessary burden on the backs of same-sex attracted people in the CRC. And we, how can we be doing to th- this to them? If we love them, we will want them to have all the great blessings of, of a normal life, right? That was sort of the effect of what was being said. And so for Peter to say that he had been overlooked even by them, was I think a very courageous move. Um, and it, it's very easy for somebody like Peter, just yeah. speaking from my own p- position, it's pr- very easy for him to be a, become a token in yeah. this whole conversation. Uh, and I don't mean for that to be the case. I just think that for him to bravely say what he said from the synod floor and to call out both sides, even while mm-hmm. at the same time making his own position known, being on the majority report, I just thought that was a very bold move that was worth a uh, high commendation. Yeah, and um, I did look it up. It is Dr. Jim Vanderwerd who who shared so courageously. Vanderwerd, there you it go. It is Vanderwerd. Um, um, and so, uh, yeah, we, we <laughs> obviously there's a lot of talk has happened during Senate and a lot of people have strong opinions. And uh, we're going to offer another episode where we'll think a, little, a lot more about the theological um, 
comments that were made or consequences that there may be from the discussions. And uh, we've already even started a document. Hmm. And so to give you a little taste of what that may be, uh, we're going to think a little bit about the law. How is the law understood? How was the law of God talked about from the the, the floor of synod? Um, was it always a reformed understanding of the law? Um, I think we'll come to the conclusion that it certainly was not always a reformed understanding of how the law of the Lord, the word of God, should be talked about, represented, loved even. Um, and uh, so that'll be in our next episode along with uh, this distinction between sanctification, justification, and the confusion that comes. That sounds like a technical thing to many non-technical listeners, I would guess, but um, it is one of great significance in this debate. Yeah. Um, and um, even the nature of pastoral advice, we're going to talk about how hmm. um, one of the... the uh, tools, you would say. I don't, I don't think that's a pejorative term. The tools used by those who oppose the historic position of the CRC is to say that that was pastoral advice given to us since 1973, that homosexual activity is sinful. And so it's a, a euphemism for we can discard that. And so that's an interesting phrase, pastoral advice. It's a very dismissive phrase, I mm-hmm. would say, um, in that used in that context for that reason. And so we're going to yeah. think about what would it mean to have pastoral advice because we think that it's probably a weightier thing than how the term is being used in this debate by mm-hmm. the people who want to reject the 73 report and probably also the 2022 decision here. Yeah, there's a lot to say on that because people will say that there's historically been some sort of leeway on these issues and now we've tightened things up. Whereas we would say as traditionalists, no, this has always been the case and now we're making what was less explicit more explicit but we're not changing anything here yeah so there will be a lot to be said on those issues so we thank you guys for listening and for spending the past hour or so uh joining us and we look forward to being with you again next week all right see you grace and peace you guys